Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And it feels good to be a champion, doesn't it? <laughs> that it does. It feels spectacular. Yeah. So we have a lot of really, this is a second week in a row where we've had some pretty substantial catsketball news, but this time on the other side. But this is the weekly recap episode, so we're going to be going over all the non-rev and rev news, which is men's catsketball, women's catsketball, and last but not least, volleyball. But let's dive straight into men's catsketball. And I know that we've kind of spoiled this already, but we are still going to go on a game-by-game basis. Your Kansas State Wildcats are the Cayman Island Classic champions, which leads us to a 6-0 record through our non-conference schedule so far. And the first game on the road to our Cayman Island championship was up against Rhode Island. K-State ended up winning this game 77-57. to In terms of scoring, you know, it was pretty, pretty good. You know, and something that I noticed is that no one on the roster except for one person, that was KJ, got above 30 minutes. So that was pretty good, pretty good job taking care of the roster in terms of time distribution, especially for, for a longer tournament. But in terms of starters, Nacon Tomlin had 15 points, including one, three, six rebounds. There's no reason why someone Naquan Tomlin's size should be hitting threes, but here we are. <laughs> And KJ, Keontae Johnson, he went three for eight from the field, seven for eight on his free throws, five reboard, rebounds, and one assist, five turnovers, 14 points. David Gasson had 16 minutes, six for eight from the field, and no threes attempted, seven rebounds. He actually ended up fouling out, one assist, two turnovers, and 12 points. Marquise Noel had nine points, three for eight from the field, including one three and two free throws, five rebounds, and then 12 assists. So again, Marquise casually collecting <laughs> collecting assists. And finally, uh, Cam Carter had 23 minutes, three for four from the field, one of one from three, one rebound, two assists, three turnovers, and seven points. So from the starting five, that was pretty good performance all around yeah uh something that flies under the radar there is david gasson with five offensive boards that's really really great obviously the marquis noel assist numbers and then the leading scorers jump out uh naquan tomlin getting five blocks as well is kind of buried in there uh but it's pretty easy to miss but i mean the team had eight blocks in this game um but yeah they shot really well 52.8 percent uh, as a team, 43.8% from three, 77% from the line. Uh, that's that's one thing that this team has actually been really good at is free throw shooting. Um, a lot of that's just because uh, Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel like the line a lot. But I'll hit the uh, bench players now. Tyke Green went two of three from the field, uh, two of two from three, one of two at the free throw line, three rebounds, one assist, one block, and he had seven points. Uh, Desi Sills actually played 28 minutes. That was the second most on the team, just behind Keontae Johnson. Uh, it's clear that we're trying to integrate him more into uh, the game plan, although he didn't have a fantastic day, at least on the stat sheet. Uh, he went three of eight, oh, one from three, one rebound, four fouls, one assist, five turnovers, three steals for six points. That says the turnover ratio has to improve. Uh, Ish Masood played 15 minutes. 
and he did exactly what he's supposed to do, which is make a few shots uh, and not do anything crazy, really. He went two or four from the field, one or two from three, one rebound, uh, two fouls, one block, had five points. Dorian Finister played 10 minutes, one of one from the field, two rebounds, a foul, an assist, a steal, uh, and that bucket he made, uh, that was two points. Uh, that was his uh, first point, I believe, as a Wildcat. Uh, so good for him. Abai Miagiola played five minutes, had a foul and a turnover. And then Nate Aubrey, uh, he played one minute and missed a shot. Uh, fun fact, former K-State portal target Alex Chiku uh, was a starter for Rhode Island in this game. He had two points. Uh, so one point K-State was trying to land him. We ended up getting David Gasson instead. Uh, so at least in the head-to-head, David Gasson definitely had a better game. Uh, that's not going to be indicative of season long, probably. But uh, yeah, this is pretty much a dominant performance start to finish for K-State. They had a big lead at halftime and kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit in the second half, which was a little frustrating. Probably could have won this game by a lot more than 20, but it, it didn't really matter. And it was more important to stay rested uh, uh, for the uh, ensuing games. Um, but K-State uh, had 22 fast break points in this game, uh, led the entire game and 21 points off turnovers. They did have 21 turnovers themselves, uh, which is pretty frustrating. Uh, they didn't allow as many points off turnovers, luckily, but uh, you'd like to see those turnover numbers get down. A lot of that coming from Keontae Johnson and Desi Sills, which again, some of that's just usage rate being high, but they still need to keep those turnover numbers down regardless. Yeah. But yeah, that was a pretty good performance on the first day. No, and then then the real gauntlet started, and it was up against the Nevada Wolf Pack. K State ended up winning this game in comeback fashion, ninety six to eighty seven. This game ended up going to overtime, and this honestly could be called the Marquise Noel game <laughs> because, wow. <laughs> Yeah, he was absolutely fantastic down the stretch. He played 41 minutes in this game. Uh, I mean, he he was just ab- absolutely fantastic. It was highlight play after highlight play. He had a, a big clutch three in overtime. He had one of those reverse layups that we saw him uh, accomplish so many times. Uh, he was distributing really well, just as well as he had the night before. Um, and yeah, then like you said, this was a... A, a comeback win uh, for K-State at one point. Nevada had a, uh, uh, they had a lead at halftime and then K-State, uh, and it was trailing by as much as 43 to 36. Um, they trimmed the lead. They end up taking the lead themselves. And then it just goes back and forth from there. And Nevada ties it, um, takes the lead late. Marquise has to make a jumper. Uh, send it to overtime and K-State ended up controlling overtime uh, pretty much the entire way, luckily, um, uh, sc- outscoring Nevada 16 to 7 uh, in that overtime period. But yeah, super, super high scoring game. Uh, do you want me to take the starters here? Yeah, we'll we'll switch off. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so Marquise, as I said, he had 41 minutes, uh, shot 50% from the field, 10 of 20. And then two of seven from three, seven of nine at the free throw line. He had two rebounds, four fouls, and then 11 assists to four turnovers. Had 29 points in this one. 
it was thrown around that this was, I think, the fifth time in KSA history that a player's had 20, 20 plus points and 10 or more assists in a game ever. And it was the first time since Angel Rodriguez did it in, I think, 2013, as I recall. Uh, and uh, I, at least I think it was Angel Rodriguez. Either that or it was back in the 80s and it was like Steve Henson or something. But a fantastic game for Marquise Noel. He really sparks the comeback late. Uh, and yeah, well, you, he he deserves a tip of the cap there. Um, and then Keontae Johnson, not to overshadow his performance with how great Marquise was, Keontae Johnson also had a fantastic night. He had 40 minutes played, 8 of 13 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, 10 of 11 at the free throw line, 9 rebounds, so just one shy of that double-double, a foul, an assist, 5 turnovers, a block, a steal, 28 points for Keontae Johnson. Yeah, so 29 for Marquise, 28 from Keontae. You're basically getting two-thirds of your points from two guys, um, which is not sustainable in the long term. Um, but regardless, both of them really had fantastic nights um, and deserve a lot of credit. Naquan Tomlin played 38 minutes, two of six from the field, one of two from three, a perfect 4-4 on free throws, four rebounds, a foul, an assist, and then he finished with nine points, a really nice night for Naquan Tomlin. David Gasson, 27 minutes, four of six from the field, 0 of two at the free throw line, eight rebounds, four of them offensive, three fouls, two assists, no turnovers, two blocks, and eight points. And then Cam Carter, rounding out the starters, uh, goes 24 minutes, two of four from the field, two of three from three, uh, one rebound, three fouls, one assist, and a steal for six points. So a fine night for Cam Carter. Again, most of his shots he's taking are threes or layups. Uh, really nothing in between. Very much the the modern identity of the game, which is you know mid range is very inefficient, and you you should either be taking a three or shooting right at the rim. And Cam Carter kind of uh, really symbolizes that uh, I think for this team. Although granted, I think. Uh, Tang in general wants to kind of get that to be our style a bit more, but yeah, yeah AC, you got the bench guys. All right. So the first guy off the bench was Desi Sills. He had 28 minutes, three from five from the field, shooting 60%, oh, one from three, one of one on his free throws, four rebounds, four fouls, three assists, three turnovers, seven total points. Ish Masood had 10 minutes, so did Taiki Green, but Ish's stat line was two of three from the field, one of one for on threes, two rebounds, two fouls, five total points. Tyke Green, one of two from the field, one rebound, one foul, one assist, one turnover, two points. And then Abayami Ijiola had seven minutes, one of one from the field, one foul, one assist, two turnovers, and two points total. Something that I, I feel like, well, we'll definitely talk about for this next game, but Desi being that that first guy off the bench and also sometimes filling in in that Marquise Noel role, he's a really good distributor. We have two really, really good distributors on this team, which, yeah, that's something that's good to have. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like Desi. I think he's only going to get better. There's some frustrating elements to his game right now. Uh, like sometimes I think he presses the issue uh, a little bit too much when he's trying to get points for himself. Uh, when he's allowing the game to come to him a little bit more, uh, he is really a fantastic player. Uh, and some of that's just going to come with time because, again, he 
got to campus like mid to late October. So he's been here for like a month, a month and a half ish. So uh, he'll, he's someone that's going to get better as it goes. Uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, seeing his continued development. But Case 8 shot really well again in this game. Uh, ju- they actually shot exactly the same uh, from the field in the first and second half, 51.85%, 14 to 27. Uh, and then from three, they shot 47% for the game, 8 of 17. Uh, and then they shot 22 of 28 on free throws for 78.6%. Uh, over time, they shot really well, actually five to six from the field. They actually shot better from the field than they did from the line, uh, six of 10 from the free throw stripe, uh, there, uh, in case they have 44 points in the paint and this game, 16, uh, times the game was tied 10 lead changes. So a lot of back and forth in this game, but, uh, case ends up prevailing, uh, really, 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 uh, gutsy performance. I want to. Uh, Nevada really came back in this game, uh, but K-State was able to fend them off. Um, and it, it was very impressive. Um, I definitely did not expect them to win. Marquis sat on the bench for a while in the second half. Like he had like probably a five minute stretch or something like that, where he was sitting cause of foul trouble. And, uh, he, uh, uh, well, it, it wasn't quite five, but he, he sat for a bit, uh, with his four fouls and, uh, came back in and really energized uh, the uh, the team, and uh, this is this was just a really great game. This is a big one to win. Uh, Nevada has a really good coach. They're a good team. They're not quite to the level they were in the Eric Musselman years, uh, but they they still are really good. They'll probably contend for the NCAA tournament. So, and this is a uh, it's, it's definitely not a quad one win. Uh, at least probably won't be by the end of the year, but. This is still a a really high quality win and a gutsy win uh, for this team. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to talk about gutsy wins, talk about the next game up against LSU. This game it was a sixty-one to fifty-nine victory. This was the championship game for the Cayman Islands Classic, and K State ended up prevailing sixty-one to fifty-nine. And it really was a gutsy win because we went we were down at going into half by eight and I think uh what was the worst it got for some reason I want to say it was like getting to 12 I for believe it was 12 I, I I'm pretty sure it was 12 at its worst um in the second half it was allegedly 11 uh was the worst it got I think at some point in the first half it was 12 and but K-State ended up coming back to win it and also this was a a game with John Higgins at one of the referees. So, you know, some questionable technicals were handed out, but <laughs> yeah, the, they were, those technicals are super, super frustrating, but unfortunately we're just going to have to get used to it. I really hate to say it, but like those are the rules, even if the rules are awful, mm-hmm. like they're going to give out a lot of technique, a lot of ticky tacky technical fouls. That's kind of hard to say. But uh, that's going to happen a lot this year, Um, just with how they're enforcing taunting um, to uh, definitely a higher degree than is necessary, I'd say. Yeah. Um, And it's just going to continue to be really frustrating. There's going to be big moments 
uh, in the season where a guy's going to show emotion and an official's probably just going to react a little bit too quickly and it's going to be a really bad call. And yeah. there's going to be a lot of Big 12 ref sucks uh, chance down the stretch in Bramlage, I would imagine, because of that. But uh, this is this is just the warm-up, I feel like, for the, the conference slate for these technical fouls. Sorry to like yeah. derail there, but... I see this coming on the horizon and I feel like it's only going to get worse. Yeah. I feel rivers overflowing, but the, well, I'll, I'll take the starters this time. Marquise Noel, 33 minutes, six of 14 from the field, two of five from three, four of four from the free throw line, four rebounds, four assists, five turnovers, 18 points. So the turnovers weren't great. Want to have obviously more assists than turnovers, but Again, that's that's just part of who Keese is. Sometimes he's gonna he's gonna turn it over a lot. Then KJ went four of seven, one of one on his three th- his three point shots, seven of eight from the stripe, four rebounds, four fouls, one turnover, sixteen points. Cam Carter had twenty four minutes, three of nine from the field, zero of three on his three point attempts, seven rebounds, three fouls, one assist, four turnovers, six total points. David Gasson had 31 minutes, 0 of 2 from the field, 2 of 2 on his free throws, 1 rebound, 2 fouls, 1 assist, 1 turnover, 2 total points. And then I believe for the first time in the season, and honestly probably one of the last times of the season, Naquan Tomlin ends up getting blanked in 29 minutes, but still pulled down 3 boards and got 3 fouls, 2 assists, 1 turnover. But it could be pretty convincingly argued that the most important player was actually coming off the bench in this game. Yeah, I I think that's a totally fair argument. And that guy is Desi Sills. Because uh, we were talking about um, his um, kind of, he was kind of struggling a little bit at times in the previous games, uh, just with controlling the ball. Uh, but he was huge in this game. He played 33 minutes when six of nine from the field, one of three from three, made all three of his free throws. Uh, one rebound, five assists, two turnovers, 16 points. And he, on the final possession for K-State, uh, when Keontae Johnson lost the ball, he had the critical recovery of the ball in the corner. And then as he was kind of falling, uh, passing the ball back to Keontae, who made a uh, little floater um, from the block. Uh, so he was instrumental to K-State's success. He tied for second leading scorer. And it really was Marquise Keontae and Desi Sills, which uh, this team does need a a third henchman. And it's probably going to be a rotating cast of characters. Guys like Desi Sills and Naquan Tomlin, Cam Carter will probably take up that role. And a few other guys will have isolated incidences of uh, filling that role as well. But yeah, Desi Sills was absolutely massive uh, in this game. And then going back through the... Uh, Timeline case they took the lead uh, uh, at the under eight in the second half and uh, fought back and forth with LSU um, and LSU kind of amounts to comeback. Uh, but I mean, it was just back and forth. This team, especially in the first half, looked exhausted from the previous yeah. night. But ultimately what happened was that they pushed through um and were able to find more energy, and they were able to outlast an equally tired LSU team that uh, kind of like fell off the cliff by the end of the 
of the game, but this uh, this KSA team that they had enough strength and conditioning in the offseason to fight through and get the big victory despite really looking exhausted. Like Naquan Tomlin, he, uh, he I, yeah, I think his three pointer was left a little short. And I was like, man, if that was just a regular game, he drills that probably. But it was uh, definitely a game where we looked a little tired, but it was uh, uh, still great outcome. Crazy ending. We'll talk a little bit more about after I get through the rest of the stats, which there's granted, there's not a lot. Uh, Abai Miagiola played seven minutes, went one of one from the field, had four rebounds, one foul, one turnover, a block, a steal, and had two points. Tanky Green played 15 minutes, 0 of 1 from the field, uh, missed a wide open three, and went 1 of 4 at the free throw line. Uh, one rebound, three fouls, uh, two turnovers, a steal, and a point. And Ishmael played one minute, missed a three, and that is it. So, <laughs> which is a shame. But yeah, And then we did not see Dorian Finister in this game. Just never was really a moment that I think would have been appropriate for him to come in. Yeah. No, uh, I agree. But now we get to talk about the the ending, which some people think there's a degree of controversy with, which honestly, if I were an LSU fan, first off, kill me. Secondly, I would understand. But, you know, I. It's basically what happened is there was four minutes, not four minutes, four point seven seconds left on the clock. LSU inbounds it and the clock just doesn't start. Yeah. And then they hit a layup, and but the clock never started, so it didn't end up counting. So, well, the clock uh, did start; it just started late. It yeah, was like, the clock started late. Yeah, it was like two two seconds ish late, and because the refs then had to look, and they were timing like if the clock had started at the right time, would the shot have gotten off? Which is kind of a bad way of like measuring that. Like, like that's. Like, that's not a great way of doing it, but I don't think that there's a better option because somebody, I don't remember who, but I saw somebody point out that when the clock was supposed to start, a point was added to the scoreboard in the arena, um, incidentally. So somebody, whoever the operator was just probably had their finger on the wrong button and didn't recognize for a second or two. And so that is probably what happened then. Just, uh, I mean, it was just operator error. Um, and yeah, if I was an LSU fan, I would be, uh, I would, I would feel cheated probably, even though I obviously from our perspective, like, like you can tell it, like, like that's not what happened. The rules specifically state that, you know, that, that's how to handle a situation like that, you know, just like time it out, uh, which again, really sucks. It's kind of a bad way to lose, like, cause there's just nothing that you can really do about it. And you did everything in your power correctly within what you understood were the bounds of the game it's just that they set up the game incorrectly and like it wasn't handled properly which is super unfortunate for lsu it's probably good that game didn't go to overtime just because i think that like players like their legs would have started falling off like on both teams because like, yeah. how tired everybody was but uh, and then also would have been tough for kc because keontae johnson was playing with four fouls um as well and missed a lot of time in the second half for that reason because uh, yeah. he he got a technical foul uh, early uh, for the uh, for uh, I I, th- I think it was like talking to the bench or something like that after he hit a three I I don't yeah. know what it was something dumb but um yeah the, it was a weird ending because uh, LSU did make a layup 
uh, before the buzzer, um, but the buzzer just should have sounded like two seconds earlier. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it it didn't stop LSU fans from being salty in the mentions, which I, I never knew that LSU fans were so hilariously salty in the mentions until we did this show. Yeah. And the two times we've beaten them, they they have sought us out. And I I, I respect them for that to a certain degree. Um, yeah, like but... I, I respect the dedication, but at the same time, like, really? Yeah, it's always after a loss and it's always excuses. So it's it, it rings a little hollow. I'd hate to see them after a dub because they're annoying enough when they lose. But yeah, the I mean, yeah, this again is we we introduced it as a gutsy win, and that's a, a perfect way to describe it. I mean, this this win is so gutsy. LSU as of now looks like a tournament team. Uh in the SEC, they have a good shot of being able to amass a good enough record to become a tournament team. And they're they're a school that's in a very similar spot as K-State. They just got a new coach and they lost ba- they did lose their entire roster in the offseason. Uh and so they're they're kind of rebuilding there. And so it, it's a it's a clean slate program that's in a very similar spot as us. So it makes sense that this would be kind of a similar like, or this would be like a game where like it is played pretty close because these are two similar teams. But I I I, I don't know. This is just such a, a gutsy win to fight through adversity, to not have Keontae Johnson for most of the second half and uh, amount to comeback uh, for a lot of that time. And yeah, then Keontae Johnson comes in and helps seals it and then makes the big go ahead shot at the end. He's been such a great story in college basketball this year. And then the cats and Jerome Tang's very first season uh, before we even get out of the month of November, he already has a trophy to throw in the trophy case at the ice family basketball facility and then marquise noel walked away with a most valuable player as he should and i mean just all around a an incredibly successful uh journey to the caymans for the men's basketball team absolutely feels great to be champions and the next time you will see the men's basketball team play is in the big 12 big east battle they'll be playing butler (laughs) not Baylor, Butler in historic Hinkle Fieldhouse next Wednesday or this coming Wednesday, I suppose. But, you know, that'll be a great game to watch. Great litmus test, especially coming off of the LSU game. Just see see how we can keep up with the consistency of the team, you know, because I feel like that mm-hmm. could be a question with this team. Yeah, Butler is going to be the biggest test thus far. Uh, they are four and two. They got blown out by a very good Tennessee team. They just beat BYU. Uh, they lost on the road to Penn State by six earlier this year, and they blew out some scrubs. Um, so they're they're probably going to be a pretty good team, uh, and they play in a really tough league as well. So that's a, a good resume builder if Butler ends up having a successful year. Um, but this KSA team has proven themselves to be pretty solid as well. Um, they're actually, according to Yahoo Sports, they are 15th in the country in free throw percentage right now. They're 79.4% uh, from the field and a 27th in assists at 17.7. So they're doing some some good things there. But, yeah, big game against Butler. They get a, a well-deserved uh, bit of time off uh, where they don't have a game for about a week. So, I mean, granted, they'll be practicing and whatnot. But 
No, they'll need a little bit of rest after uh, three very difficult games. Yep. So now we can move into women's basketball. The first game we'll kind of we'll kind of gloss over because it wasn't particularly close, and the opponent wasn't that notable. No disrespect to UTRGV, but it's kind of true. The Women's basketball team ended up beating the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley in Bramlage 72-45. And this was the night after we ended up beating uh, number four in the country, Iowa. So that that explains the minute distribution that you're about to hear. But in terms of, <laughs> terms of starters, Briley Glenn played 22 minutes, five of six from the field, one of two from three, four rebounds, one foul, one assist, two turnovers, 11 points. Serena Sundell, 21 minutes, three of five from the field, 0 of one on three, uh, three point attempts, two of two on free throws, 11 rebounds, one foul, four assists, two turnovers, eight points. Taylor Lauterbach only played nine minutes, three of six from the field, one of one from three. <laughs> that's honestly that one there one rebound and seven total points i forgot she hit a three wow it was like the very first shot of the game i think like like right off the tip like she just went to the wing and we just threw it to her and she just took a three that that's when i knew that jeff Mitty like did not like <laughs> he was not taking this game seriously like no. i mean i'm joking but uh, that that that's a definitely a way to catch a team off guard to start a game is have your six seven player take a wing three like yeah. like in stride. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen Waterbach attempt a three. Even like I think I've seen her attempt a one like in warmups. Yeah, I, I remember there was a game last year where she was like taking a lot of threes in warmups, so she didn't attempt any in the game. So it was a little strange, but okay. <laughs> Yeah, the, the fourth starter was Emily Ebert, two of seven from the field, one of three from three, two rebounds, one foul, two assists, two turnovers, five points. And the last starter was one of the Alleyville Alley Cats' favorite players, just because think of the potential that she could have. She's an athletic monster. That's Eliza Moppin, 21 minutes, 0 of two from the field, two of four on free throws, three rebounds, three fouls, one assist, two total points. Again, Eliza Moppin is just an insane level athlete that needs time to develop and also kind of pick a position because I'm not sure she had one going into to college. I think she was one of those players like, yeah, you're good enough. Go do whatever you want in high school. Yeah, and that, that kind of tracks with her uh, skills. Uh, she can post up, drive through the lane, take a three. I mean, there's not really anything she can't do. Uh, so it's a... Uh, it, it'll definitely be an uphill trajectory for her, but she has one of the highest ceilings uh, in the conference, maybe in the country uh, in terms of her athletic ability. Um, yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll skim through the uh, bench players. Cause we played a lot of players off the bench. Uh, Jalen Glenn came off the bench, 25 minutes, had 13 points, uh, five of 11 from the field, three of seven uh, from three. Uh, Gabby Gregory also came off the bench resting a little bit after uh, the emotional um, game that was Iowa. 21 minutes, 4 of 8 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, 2 of 2 at the free throw line, 13 points. Heavenly Greer played 14 minutes, 3 of 7 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3, 7 points. Uh, Sarah Shamatsi also coming off the bench after a fantastic performance against Iowa. 17 minutes, 1 of 4 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3, 2 points. 
Michaela Parks played 12 minutes as a true freshman, one of five from the field, oh two two from three, and had two points. And then Rebecca Dollinger played 18 minutes and did not score, did add three assists, though. So it was a bit of a sloppy game, all in all, uh, 19 assists to 18 turnovers, but they were playing UTRGV uh, less than 24 hours after beating uh, Iowa in a high-energy, very emotional game. So not shocking that this game was a little bit sloppy, but they still controlled it the entire time. They led from the very beginning. So nothing uh, really out of the ordinary here. This is a, a blowout win for uh, this uh, Mitty Cat squad, but they're, they're just better than UTRGV in pretty much every way. Fun fact about UTRGV, their head coach, Lane Lord, uh, used to be the head women's coach at Pittsburgh State, where Ace and I are from. So oh. there's that. That's not really relevant to most of the people that listen to this show, but just that's interesting. It's relevant to like, yeah, I guess there's a few people, like five people, maybe five ish, maybe six. I'm not counting you or me. Yeah, like five or six. Anyway, (laughs) but yeah, not much to say there. Next game was up against Utah Tech, if I'm remembering correctly, formerly Dixie State. This one is a game that if you look at the score, it looks a lot closer and actually was, and it's mostly down to the fourth quarter. But it was a 91-82 to victory, very high scoring in favor of your Kansas State Wildcats to remain perfect on the year. And, yeah, it was just way closer than it really – the score is closer than it actually was. But I've kind of been hogging the, the starters for, for two games in a row, so you can take this one. Okay. Yeah. So this was the third game in as many days, I believe, for yeah. the uh the Midi Cats after their Iowa victory. Um yeah, they take down Utah Tech. Gabby Gregory once again leads the way in scoring a, just a fantastic addition to the team. Uh 30 minutes in this game, eight of twenty from the field, six of fourteen from three, four of six at the free throw line, had nine rebounds, three offensive, uh, four fouls, three assists, three turnovers, ended up with twenty-six points. Again, she has been absolutely fantastic this year, and she did most of her damage around the three-point line in this game, but she has shown a uh, ability to get into the paint and just out-muscle people for rebounds. It's been really impressive. Uh, Jalen Glenn played 29 minutes in this game, was the second-leading scorer, uh, had 7 of 13 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, 2 of 4 at the free-throw line, 8 rebounds, 2 fouls, 1 assist, 1 block, 2 steals, had 18 points in this one. Serena Sundell had 33 minutes played, the most on the team, four of eight from the field, one of two from three, eight of 10 at the free throw line, five rebounds, one foul, four assists, two turnovers, a block, a steal, and 17 points. Briley Glenn uh, played 14 minutes, three of six from the field, one of four from three, had four rebounds, one foul, one assist, one steal, and seven points. And Sarah Shamatsi rounded out the starting lineup, had 24 minutes, two of five from the field, of two from three, one of two. The free throw line had two rebounds, both offensive rebounds, three fouls, one turnover, a block, and had five points. So, uh, yeah, the Cats started out hot in this game, shooting 60% in the first quarter, 45% from three, um, and trailed off a little bit, especially in the fourth quarter. Did not really do that great. Ultimately didn't have a great shooting night, but... I would imagine tired legs after playing three games in three days, including one with the caliber of Iowa. Uh, And then this also was just a really fast paced game. Uh, Utah Tech 
was getting up and down the floor and shooting the ball a lot. So, uh, yeah, but still a great performance. And then you get to say my favorite stat line uh, from this game uh, <laughs> next. Uh, so I, I, I'm jealous of you, honestly, here, because I mean, this is just, yeah. it's just a fantastic stat line. Yeah. And that is, again, our favorite player, Eliza Moppin, number 21. She played 13 minutes, four of six from the field, four of five from the free throw line, 10 rebounds, four fouls, zero assists, one turnover, 12 points. She had a double-double in 13 minutes. She that was averaging almost a point per minute and a foul every, like, three. That's <laughs> an unbelievable impact that she has in just 13 minutes. And then also four of those rebounds were offensive rebounds. So, I mean, she both got a double-double and almost fouled out in just 13 minutes. So, I mean, it's... I think that's indicative of the type of player Liza Moppin has the potential to be, which is... Just an athletic freak that is just flying around everywhere, but just is really undisciplined right now. And is she's more of a, a like a basketball player, like yeah. like then like if that if that makes sense, like like she's somebody that like would destroy destroy you in like a pickup game, and like is obviously a phenomenal athlete and is so so good, um, but just has a lot to learn about playing at the college level. And I mean, that's where the four fouls come from. And I'm okay with that right now. She is good enough to where you just, you take the lumps uh, with, with the positives, like, because she just needs game experience to get better uh, because she, she, it's like a Madden character where they have hidden dev. You just need to get them more snaps. So the, she is going to be really special. I mean, uh, that's just an unbelievable stat line. I mean, 12 points, 10 rebounds in 13 minutes. That is so, so good. Yeah. Ridiculous game for her. Then Emily Ebert ended up playing 26 minutes, one of four from the field, four of four from the free throw line, uh, one foul, four assists, one turnover, and six total points. Rebecca Dollinger played 23 minutes, did not have a good day shooting. In fact, she did not hit a single shot, but did get a rebound, seven assists. And then Heavenly Greer played six minutes. She didn't do all that much, got three boards, but that's about it. And then Michaela Parks and uh, Taylor Lauterbach. Both ended up with a single minute each, but, oh, not the voice crack, but, <laughs> oh boy. But the, the standout performance here, you know, obviously Gabby Gregory, we, we've said this multiple times now. At this point, it's just Gabby Gregory, Serena Sundell, and just pick a random third person. <laughs> yeah. It, this it's... one, you could honestly pick two. You could yeah. say Jalen, you could say Eliza. Yeah. I, I feel like Jalen's probably the better like actual choice because she played a lot more, but Eliza Moppin just like was like like a side character that just like showed up and just wrecked house for like half an episode. Like so yeah. Uh, yeah. There there are definitely there's two leaders on this team. That's Gabby and Serena, but they do need um a, a third like henchman or horseman or whatever to like help them out like throughout the game. Uh like because Gabby and Serena, there's probably games where they could carry the team to victory on their own, honestly. Like I don't doubt that. But the to make it easier, there is going to have to be on a game by game basis, somebody's gonna have to step up. It's kind of similar to the men's team with Marquise and Keontae, where there just needs to be another person that steps up on a game by game basis. It's similar here. Uh Gabby and Serena are the undisputed leaders of this team at this point. 
and they they someone else doesn't have to step up, especially with Serena this year kind of taking more of an offensive backseat uh, to Gabby Gregory and becoming more of a distributor. Um, so somebody else has to um, step up and take up some of the offensive slack because Serena Sundell is definitely more focused this year. It seems like on distributing the ball as opposed to scoring uh, last year, just because she was probably the best scoring threat last year at guard. But Gabby Gregory is really like special as a scorer and uh, hopefully sticks around for a COVID season uh, because this team and inserting Aoka Lee into the lineup would be so deadly. It already is deadly. Yeah. Can you imagine a team that's starting five is Gabby Gregory, Serena Sundell, Ioka Lee, Eliza Maupin, and then one of the Glenn twins? That's disgusting. That's gross. <laughs> I don't even way. want to imagine that because that, that just seems unfair to me. I mean, that's that, that, that's pretty phenomenal to, to even think about. I mean, that that would be a Big 12 uh, title contending roster easily right there. Yeah. Uh, that the only thing that team would have to do is stay the course and not let the wheels fall off. And they would be on pace for a top three finish. Yeah. But speaking of top three, uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> Clemson got wa- washed by K-State of the first game of the Paradise Jam? Uh, yes, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, funny discrepancy, by the way. Every other service except for K-State's own website at the time of recording has this being a 76-38 to 38 victory for K-State. However, K-State's official website has it as a 77 to 38 victory for K-State. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a fun fact. <laughs> yeah. Like, like this doesn't change anything um, at all. Like, Clemson still was basically publicly executed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't really change much. Like, I mean, it's, it's a difference between winning by 38 or 39. Uh, so regardless, Clemson got doubled up in this game and it was not pretty. I mean, uh, especially for us. Oh, yeah, but not for them. Uh, I mean, there's just an absolute destruction. I mean, for reference, at one point uh, on their first possession of the third quarter, uh, they made a jumper with nine minutes and 19 seconds left in the third quarter. Their next field goal make would be with six minutes and 58 seconds left in the fourth quarter. So they went about, what, 12, 13 minutes there. Uh, check my math, uh, about 12 minutes, 12 and a half minutes uh, without a field goal. Um, and in the whole second half, third and fourth quarters combined, Clemson scored nine points to K-State's 45 points in the second half. Just uh, an absolute, complete and utter collapse uh, by Clemson in this game, which granted, I don't think they're going to be an outstanding team by any stretch of the imagination. They got destroyed in a similar fashion by South Carolina uh, last week. Uh, But we also are not South Carolina. Uh, So I I don't know what to take from this game uh, other than we definitely know how to smother a team that isn't good. This we'll know a lot more about this game uh, as the season goes on, because like there, I don't know who knows Clemson may only win 10 games this year. And this game may end up not really mattering that much. Uh, but 
regardless, it was a lot of fun to watch as a, as a K-State fan. Yeah. Another fun fact is you could literally have deleted every single three that K-State shot. We still would have won by two. Yeah. That, that was just the type of game that this was. And I mean, Clemson, they shot 26% from the field, 14% from three, 55% from the line. And I mean, it's just utter op- complete opposite for K-State, 44% from the field, 43% from three, 81.8% from the free throw line. They didn't even take that many free throws, only 11. Uh, but it was just fantastic. Borderline perfect uh, the second half was pretty much a perfect half. I, I don't think yeah. you realistically could have a better half because this was basically like the Oklahoma State game last year. But if we also were good at offense, because last yeah. year we had that great defensive half against Oklahoma State where they had like six points, but we only had like 22 points on offense. So we just had an incredible, incredible second half and Clemson actually this was a three-point game at half and Clemson led by six at one point in the second quarter because they went on like a 12-0 run and And we took that personally we we took that personally um because at one I I need to go back and find it because at 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 one point in uh, the second quarter they led 26 to 6 uh or 26 to 20 I mean uh they led by six and at that point, they scored 12 more points the entire game. They got outscored 57 to 12 from uh, that point on, which would have been uh, with six minutes and 10 seconds left in the second quarter. That could have happened to anybody. Um, That's a shame. And that, it, it, I mean, it was a complete slaughter. So do you yeah. want do you want the starters or the, or the bench? <laughs> uh, I'll take the starters since volleyball is coming up next. We can honestly probably just say the points because that's kind of the only – like we don't we don't need to yeah. spend much time here. Gabby Gregory had 22, Jalen Glenn had 17, Briley had 12. Serena said now only had six, which is weird for her, but it's not like she was needed to activate God mode this game. Yeah. Then Taylor Lauterbach only had two with three rebounds. And you get to talk about the enigma that is Eliza Moppin again. Yeah. Uh, and then Serena Sundell did have nine assists in this game. That's like the only yeah. other stat that's really worth mentioning, I think. Everything yeah. else is like pretty run of the mill. Uh, but yeah, well, Emily analyzes Ebert, fouls, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Emily Ebert uh, gets 11 points in this one. Eliza Maupin, uh only gets three points in nine minutes and then also has three fouls. Uh, so again, uh, her one uh, field goal make was like an alley oop. Uh, she uh, uh, caught an oop and it was actually a really athletic adjustment because the pass was behind her. And she uh, caught it and had to readjust in midair and throw it up. Um, other than that, she missed, uh, I think, a couple layups. Uh, like, a, like there was like a shot or two at the rim that she wasn't quite able to convert on. Um, but I don't know. She's she'll continue to grow. Um, but for now, some games are going to have what we just talked about with twelve points in thirteen minutes. Other times, she's just going to get foul trouble really fast and just not really know what to do. And that's okay. You know, she'll, she doesn't have to be a star player immediately. That's the the benefit of having people like Gabby Gregory and Serena Sundell and the Glenn twins on your team. Uh, Sarah Stramanzi had two points. Heavenly Greer also had two points. Uh, and then Rebecca Dollinger at Michaela Parks played and did not score. Um, Michaela Parks did not register any stats other than a missed three. Um, Dollinger did some stuff. Um, but that, that, that really does it. Um, I guess we shot over 60% in the third quarter. That's pretty cool. Um, but and beyond that, uh, K-State just absolutely demolished Clemson. 
in every measurable facet of the game. Um, and there's, there's not much else to take away from it other than that, other than uh, as things stand at the time of release, both teams are 6-0. and Yeah. And the next game for the women is the Northern Arizona game on Friday. That'll be on ESPN three. Same story in terms of network for Saturday at seven. Shame that that's going to conflict with the Sunflower Showdown. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Up against Arkansas at seven. But we'll see how the Paradise Jam goes for the women's basketball team. Now we can talk about the Volley Cats. Oh, one last thing on uh, the Arkansas game. It really is a shame that that is going to conflict with the KU game because that actually does have a good storyline with former Wildcat Chrissy Carr being on the Arkansas team. So it, it literally starts at the exact same time as the football game. So very few people will see it, unfortunately, unless the Wi-Fi is really good in the stadium, which it won't be. So no, it um, never is. Yeah, it, that, that's a shame. Could happen to anybody. Uh, but it, that's another game where K-State women's basketball can make it out of Paradise, Paradise Jam undefeated. Uh, it's going to be a really good team because right now they are ranked 25th in the country and mm-hmm. uh, they can get out of the Paradise Jam undefeated. They'll only go up from here. Yep, I agree. Now we can actually talk about the women's volleyball team and no disrespect to them. There isn't much to say that, but well, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll talk about why at the very end, but we'll start with the TCU game. This was a three to one loss for K state. So K state only got one set scoring went 25, 20 TCU for the first set and then 25, 14 in the second set. So we picked our one set to win and yeah, we won it. And then the, Next two sets were both TCU, 25 23 and then 25 21. This was in Fort Worth. And again, it it's just it's another one of those performances that you look at for the volley cats and you're like, okay, fine, another one of these. And, and that's the only way I can describe it. And it's this one is really strange because K-State had as a team a fantastic hitting day. 253 on the team as a team. Uh, Katie Fernholz had 14 kills and 29 attempts and only two errors. Uh, Sydney Bolding, 11 of 18, no errors. Lauren Hinkle, 3 of 7, no errors. Haley Warner, 5 of 11, no errors. And then Aaliyah Carter, 10 of 46, did have seven errors. Um, but Casey had 19 errors as a team compared to 24 for TCU. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this game, but really this game was lost in this has been an issue that you and I have talked about since like the first match of the year service errors, uh, 13 service errors, uh, for K state and this match, just five for TCU. Um, and you go down those last few sets, uh, TCU wins by two and by four, just clean up some of those service issues. And K state probably wins this because at least in terms of offensive statistics, they were the better team. Uh, so that makes it really frustrating that they, weren't able to pull out the win. Elena Baca gets a double-double, 13 kills, 10 digs, um, but just really, really frustrating. Uh, Sydney Bolding had uh, nine uh, blocks, uh, and this one block attempts at least. I always forget if BA's block attempts are like blocks, but anywho, really frustrating loss for, for K-State Volleyball because this is one that they honestly probably should have won. Crazy TCU, confusing team. Uh, 15 and 10 overall, but 10 and 4 in big 12 play so they came in the big 12 play uh with a 
uh, five and six record. And they're now 15 and 10. Uh, so good for them, I guess, but really odd. That's it's kind of unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Next up is the Texas Tech game. K-State ended up winning this three to two. This actually made it to where both records for K-State, at least in the general sense for Texas Tech, is identical, 15 and 13. Different conference records, though. But the set scores went, the first set went to K-State, 25-21. Then Texas Tech took two and three, 25-18, then 25-23. And then K-State activated the Jets and then decided to smoke them in the last two sets, 25-13 and then 15-11. And again, there's just no consistency with it. Like we won and I'm still like, okay, could we do that consistently? And the answer is no. Yeah. Um, really frustrating case. A blue, um, a few sets. They again, exercise. Well, another thing that you and I have talked about all year, all season long for the volleyball team is this team is not clutch at all. They have the anti-clutch gene uh, in, in their veins at all times yeah. luckily um the texas the, the fact that texas tech is not good one out in the end uh so k-state does get the victory but it should not have taken as long as it did um but on a few notable performances elena baca had a fantastic night uh 23 kills four errors fifth on 59 attempts hitting 323 so she was just going absolutely crazy uh, and then had 13 digs as well. Uh, they're saying on the broadcast, 23 kills is the most in her career by several. Cause she, I remember she broke the, her record in like early fifth set and then had like several more kills. Um, so great game for her. Um, and then Aaliyah Carter, 13 kills, five errors on 46 um, attack attempts. Uh, so nice night for her. Mackenzie Morris had 36 digs in this match, which is just nuts. Um, and then also I went and I think um, on, on the box score, it should not have taken me the entire season to figure this out, but I'm pretty sure that BS and BA for blocks are combined for blocks. Like I think a BS is like a block scored where you get a point out of it and BA is just like you blocked it and it was blocked. So Sydney Bolding had nine blocks in this, in this match, which is really good. Uh, I don't have much else to say, honestly, other than it was senior night for Haley Warner and Sydney Bolding. Uh, at least I think. No, it was Elena Baca, my bad. Um, and yeah, Baca had a fantastic senior night. Haley Warner had a pretty good night as well, honestly. So um, thanks for their contributions. Uh, unfortunately, probably not making postseason. They would take a absolute miracle and half of the volleyball teams in the country electing to not do postseason out of respect for K-State volleyball making it. Uh, so yeah. it, it would take many, 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 many things to fall K-State's way and I, even then, I don't think it's possible at this point. So I the season will probably end with the next match, which game. is yeah, it is a shame. Um, but hopefully next year the new volleyball arena can energize them. Hopefully so. But yeah, that, that pretty much wraps up the the news. You pretty much said anything that we were going to say on volleyball. It was a good senior night, good. Like just that we couldn't find consistency in the season. So postseason's probably out of the question. Yeah. Really too bad because there's a lot of talent on this team. Uh Elena Baca is somebody that probably deserved to make the postseason because she I I felt like was a really great addition by Susie Fritz to this team. It was exactly what we needed 
which is a running mate for Leah Carter, but Leah Carter had an off year, really. Just the entire season just wasn't really herself, it felt like. And Baca uh, was very hit and miss. When she was good, she was great, but then sometimes she would disappear a bit. Uh, but there's there's definitely talent on this team, just they just weren't clutch enough. I, I hate to boil it down to that, but they blew yeah, several matches that they they should have won. And that came that ultimately end up ended up biting us. So you know it sucks, but uh this team definitely had many opportunities uh to make its case for the postseason. And it just could never really put it together. And yeah, that that, that really does stink. because uh, I, I, I do really like this team. Like like they had a shot, a really great shot against Baylor at home. Uh and then they should have had KU at home. They shouldn't have lost to Rice. They shouldn't have lost to UCF. Uh, those are all close matches that they really just blew. Uh, but that is what is. Now, hopefully next year, uh, having the new volleyball arena will give them some energy, bring some new life to the program because the, the program is feeling a little stagnant right now. Uh, so next year is a big year. Uh, for the volleyball program i'd like to get back and see at least one match uh in the new arena i think that'd be pretty fun uh it should be a fun environment like 3500 seats and they're all pretty close to the court from what you can tell from the renderings so it should be a good environment probably a lot better than bramwich bramwich is just a little bit too big uh for volleyball uh it it just feels kind of cavernous but i don't know yeah, one last game against Baylor. If they're ranked, hopefully we can knock them down a seed or two in the NCAA tournament and just play spoil sport, I guess, for them. Because Baylor has nothing to gain or lose, and neither do we, really. So yeah, just be, just be a nice way to end the season, uh, if possible. Yeah. Yeah, that pretty much wraps up the news segment. Now we can go into the wacky segment of the week. And while it's technically not Thanksgiving anymore, for us at least recording yeah it, uh, we picked a we picked a thanksgiving based question and that is if you had to eat one thanksgiving food until you got sick what food are you picking that's pretty a simple fantastic question because there's so many great thanksgiving foods and because i because i really like thanksgiving i didn't really have a, tra- a traditional thanksgiving this year just because like like everybody in my family was like busy for like different reasons like and they all kind of aligned at right the same like right at the same time so we didn't really get like that normal Thanksgiving that we're used to but in a traditional Thanksgiving I'm gonna be basic I'm gonna say turkey I know that turkey yeah. is now a controversial thing to like on Thanksgiving a lot of people have been going on the ham wave as of late which I respect because I think ham is great I've been to a Thanksgiving that has had ham and turkey and that was fantastic and. Uh, but other than that, I mean, if there was ever like cheesy potatoes, normally there's not, but I am a fiend for cheesy potatoes. And so I, I would absolutely love that. There's normally, that's normally not a Thanksgiving food though. Um, like, a scall- like scalloped potatoes yeah. or the mashed potatoes with cheese in them? Scalloped potatoes. That's what I'm okay. thinking. I love me some scalloped potatoes, but I feel like they only ever have them at like catered meals, <laughs> like weddings and like banquets and stuff. Like I've had you can buy potato. some scalloped potatoes like in Walmart. You know I that, probably right? could, but they're, they no, just no, no, there is no probably you could. 
no well you don't understand i probably could but <laughs> i i mean like i i've only ever had them really at like weddings and stuff like that i'm always like wow i could really go from some, some scallop potatoes but i just never take it upon myself to go actually like get some scallop potatoes but i know this problem could very easily be solved and it's very frustrating for you but i deal with <laughs> deal with it i guess um and this doesn't affect my life i'm trying to help yeah. you man <laughs> But I well, I appreciate it. But yeah, I I love me some scalloped potatoes, even though it's not the most Thanksgivingy food. Maybe um, at least not stereotypically. Um, uh, Thanksgiving food is what you make of it. So if you want your answer to be scalloped yeah. potatoes, it's fine. I, I'm probably still gonna roll a turkey, but scalloped potatoes is like a close second. Even though like I, I don't really ever have it that much for Thanksgiving, I may request it for next year if possible. But uh, we we shall see. But what is your Thanksgiving food? See, I, I kind of, I kind of debated a few, you know, stuffing, stuffing is good. I feel like stuffing is going to be a solid choice, no matter what mashed potatoes is pretty good. Kind of for the same reason. My family's does a little thing where you put a little bit of garlic, salt, garlic powder, a little bit of pepper, and a little bit of shredded cheese in the mashed potatoes, let it melt in when it's still hot. And when you kind of get a, a little really nice flavor profile, whenever you take a bite, However, I am saying all of this to pick turkey. <laughs> I and I have a specific reason to pick turkey because yes, I am eating it until I literally get sick. However, the moment after I get sick, it will immediately be nap time. So I will not feel as bad because the turkey will make me want to take a nap. So like not only is turkey good, in my opinion, especially if you get a little bit of gravy on it, but that's not counted for this. But turkey's good. I'm going to get sick. And the best thing, if you get sick, is to rest. So I'm going to take a nap because the turkey is going to help me take a nap. Nothing hits the same as having your Thanksgiving meal in like the early afternoon and then taking the food coma nap and waking up like right as the egg bowl starts. <laughs> That, you feel that's like you like, woke up in a different universe. Like every time you do that, you're actually crossing timelines. Yeah, the egg <laughs> bowl is absolutely in a different universe. Like, like to be fair, like that that game exists and plays by different rules in every other game of college football, and I absolutely love it. And it, it's always just such a ridiculous and wacky game. Like the existence of the egg bowl could have been the wacky segment of the week on its own, honestly. Yeah, but it. It was not, but it it still makes a a guest appearance, even though it's not at all related to the uh, the question. <laughs> oh yeah, egg bowl is a Thanksgiving tradition, unlike any other. Yeah, like I didn't watch any NFL games today, honestly. Like I you just didn't like miss all that much. Yeah, I was gonna say I checked the scores and I was like, nah. I like because I remember when I was younger, the Packers always played on Thanksgiving, and I really liked that. They haven't really recently, but uh, yeah, I went out of my way to watch the egg bowl. And that, that was like the thing I really wanted to to watch for Thanksgiving because I'm still like mentally recuperating like from all like the lost sleep of that over the last couple of weeks. But yeah. But yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. 
I am at Connor Baltzor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alleycats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tank Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alleycats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alleycats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alleycats.